You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Couples Show. It's a show that involves two sets of couples talking about topical matters and also issues related to family life. My name is Maria and I'm here today with my husband Fahad to host the show. We've already been guests on the show and we're a little nervous today because it's our first time hosting. Um, so bear with us. Um, in addition, we also are dealing with a, a rather sensitive um, subject matter. It's something that perhaps isn't talked very often in our community and it's talking about dealing with the loss of a child. Our guest couple today is Saba Mahmoud and Shiraz Heder who have been extremely brave in coming in today to discuss their experience um, and hopefully, inshallah, to, exper- uh, to benefit others as well. As I said, the topic is a rather sensitive one um, and there may be a need for a Nasheed break throughout the show. Assalamu alaikum. Losing a loved one is very difficult to deal with for anyone. The loss of a child is even greater. No parent is prepared for a child's death. Parents are simply not expected to outlive their children. It is important to remember that how long your child lived does not determine the size of your loss. The loss of a child is profound at every age. Having said this, life and death are in the hands of Allah. As Muslims, we accept this and submit to Allah's plan as he is the best of all planners. However, we are human and full of emotions. Knowing Allah's promise that your child is guaranteed Jannah and in a, ble- in a better place may not be enough to deal with emptiness, with the emptiness that you feel for the loss. It's a journey which only a parent will know, and it's this journey we want to explore so that others in a similar situation, as well as the wider community, can learn from. So, assalamu alaikum, uh, Sabah alaikum and Shiraz. I'd like to just start with you telling a little bit about your family, um, when you got married, just a little bit about yourself. Um, well, we've been married almost five years now. Anniversary is coming up, so I <laughs> uh, need to need to arrange a gift for that one. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm married for almost five years. Um, I work in financial services, so just a just a normal job. Mm-hmm. Um, my family is quite large, as is Subas, um, and we're very close close knit family. Family values are very important to us, so mm-hmm. I think that's what, one of the main reasons um, Allah Subhanahu Taala brought us together. Um, do you want to go? Um, yeah, that's it. Just married five years. Alhamdulillah, we've got two children, Aya and Mina. So do you, you've mentioned Aya. So do you want to start by telling us a little bit about your pregnancy with Aya? Mm-hmm. How did it go? Um, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go on. Um, Aya was my first pregnancy, first child. And Alhamdulillah, it was, it was a normal textbook pregnancy like everyone has we had our scans and everything was absolutely fine um what happened with Aya was I very suddenly and randomly got ill and was in hospital um we found out afterwards it was an infection but at the time we didn't know what was wrong and after a few days my waters broke early and Aya was born very premature so she was born at 24 weeks gestation um so so months that's 24 weeks is about nearly six months. Six months, yeah. Okay. So very early, three, yeah. Mo- yeah. three, three yeah. months. Yeah, I mean, she early. was due the 22nd of December and I had her on the 6th of September. Um, and obviously, before that, we had never heard of 
neonatal units, premature babies, mm-hmm. or anything like that. We hadn't we hadn't had the experience of it, and everything just kind of it happened very quickly. But up until that point, it was just like every other pregnancy. normal pregnancy. Had yeah. you prepared? at that stage for the pregnancy or the birth of the, the of no. your baby at that stage? No, we'd hadn't, we hadn't bought anything, uh-huh. which now when we think about it, I think it was a blessing in disguise mm-hmm. that we didn't have. We had, I think the week before I was born, we'd actually gone shopping to okay. look at prams and things, but we hadn't bought yeah. anything. Just mm-hmm. because it was so early at that stage, we hadn't really done a lot of preparation yeah, yeah, yet. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, we hadn't been to into antenatal classes or nothing. So at that stage, yeah. Yeah, so when I was ill... I didn't know at the time, but the few days I was in hospital, I was actually in labour with labour pains, but I had no idea because right, okay. we'd never experienced this and there was kind of miscommunication. But Were you taken into the maternity unit yes, at that stage? Yes. So they were t- they were handling your case. Were, were they making you aware at that point that you were going to possibly no. give birth? Um, were they under that impression at any stage? or It was a... <laughs> It was a bit of a mix-up again. The initial hospital we were in, there was a lot of miscommunication mm-hmm. there initially. Um, so I was never told that this is a possibility. Right, okay. um, we were just told that you'll be fine, you've probably got an infection, we can send you home in a few days. And that was it. Um, so How long you, had you been in the I hospital had, at that stage before she was born? Well, I was taken into hospital on the Monday night. Um, on the Thursday morning was when my waters broke, but I then got transferred to another hospital, um, mm-hmm. to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Right. But I wasn't born until the Sunday. Sunday, okay. What happened after the birth at that stage? Um, it was very rushed, um, I think, because we were in a, a state of shock ourselves. Um, but if we look back, there was a, a whole team uh, in the labour suite uh, because it was such a high-risk... Um, sort of labour mm-hmm. so when I was born um, it was just like well I would say normal the um, sub got to hold her um, ever so briefly mm-hmm. um, because she was so high risk though yeah. um, they quickly put the uh, put Aya into the incubator and upstairs and because Saba was was quite serious as well they, the doctors had to attend to her oh, so well. okay. um, it was very early in the morning um, after the birth um, I think I was only there for about an hour, if if that, uh, only about an hour in the labour suite, uh, and then I went home uh, just to get some rest, catch up, make sure Supper got some rest too, and then came back in the morning, and we went down to the neonatal unit. Um, they took us in uh, together, and they walked us around, showed us the facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very good actually. They told us who the consultant was in charge. Okay. Um, who the nurses were in charge um, so they gave us a full walk through uh, of the neonatal unit How much did she weigh just so parents out there? 670 grams And old so money? You're, I think about a bag of sugar mm. Even, less. Even less? Less than that, yeah, yeah. Less than a bag of yeah. sugar she was, she was small, obviously she was oh. really small um, I think at the time because everything was so rushed because we you know, I had her, we gave gave birth although even then we were actually told she probably wouldn't survive the labour because she was so small so Mm -hmm. initially before I'd even when I got transferred to hospital we'd been told then whenever the baby comes to prepare for a stillbirth basically because there was nothing wrong with her but just because she was so small Um, 
but straight after labor you know you're used to when a baby is born you hear crying but we had silence in the room mm-hmm. there was about mm-hmm. 10 members of staff mm-hmm. um yeah so like i said it was quite a large team right. in labor suite um so generally if you see, see it on tv any sort of birth when a baby's born you yeah. initially hear a cry we yeah. didn't hear that mm-hmm. and because of the information that we given prior we were, ex- we were expecting the worst but mm-hmm. we did ask the question they said she she was breathing with support okay, okay. Uh, which to us was a blessing we said uh-huh. alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Uh, i think there was silence for quite a while because i remember i asked a few times is she breathing is she well is the baby breathing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i think it probably would only been about a minute but it seemed like a lifetime yeah, yeah because yeah. that that first minute is crucial of course but so they were just attending to her yeah, in that situation that minute feels like an hour mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, was, it, it felt very long, but it was only a short, short while. Then, yeah. because they had to attend to Aya, um, they I made sure she was there. When they did, when they finally turned around and said, "It's a girl, and she's alive, and she's got a really strong heart," um, and I think we were just so overwhelmed mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we hadn't prepared for that. We so you had prepared. Yeah, I mean, as hard as it worst. was, yeah. yeah. We initially we had our crying stuff, and then I remember saying to my family, "Look." it's fine if this baby's not going to make it through the birth that's a little decision it's mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. and we had kind of mentally prepared for that so when they turned around and said no you know she's alive and I even got to hold her um, mm-hmm. and I just I remember at the time I didn't care that she was premature I didn't care that you know she was going to need a you know I just felt like the luckiest woman in the world mm-hmm. because I had a baby girl and she was alive and I was holding her and that's all that mattered I suppose uh, in that kind of context you count your blessings yeah. and you yeah. do yeah um obviously very rushed and very unexpected yeah. um the situation that you found yourself in i suppose you, in in such a situation you try, you try to cling on to something that's familiar that's you know that's something that's routine uh, i suppose something that comes to mind is you know did you think about names etc beforehand or did you start to think about names after she was born um, we did have a brief discussion of names where there would be a boy or a girl we had a a few names in mind um i think with the the name aya we did like it beforehand mm-hmm. um reasons where shiraz had liked the name for quite a while okay. um and during my pregnancy i used to go to the isilabus arabic class with sheikh Sahib. um and it was just in class one day he just randomly mentioned aya and he asked everybody what it meant and we all said a verse from the quran and he kept saying no but what's the actual translation and then he eventually said it means a miracle or a sign that shows the greatness of Allah yes, and I remember thinking that's such a beautiful name and she actually actually said it's such a beautiful name I'm mm-hmm. surprised people don't use it more often okay. and at the time I remember thinking if I have a girl I'd love to keep the name but when she was born we, I think it just seemed even more appropriate because of the fact we were told she wasn't going to make it and she yes, did yeah. and we felt like this truly is one of Allah's miracles that he has shown that no it's up to him who is going to survive and it just felt like the most appropriate name for her at the time. What was it? Okay, no, his <laughs> husband wants to say something, so he yeah. should speak. So, I suppose it be- turns into a bit of an existence in hospital for the both of you, and I suppose people are wanting to naturally come and visit, but it's only limited in a, in a neonatal unit, the amount of people you can have. Um, how did how did you find that? kind of situation it's fairly artificial and, and such you know as you yeah, said you've well got a large family as well true, you, true. our lives basically came to a halt okay. and 
our hundred percent focus was on the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, we were very lucky with our jobs that we got compassionate leave. That's good. That's so really good. We didn't have that to worry about. Um, initially, um, it was just ourselves going in, getting familiar with surroundings and protocol, really. Um, then the main sort of family members, parents, uh, and siblings came down. Um, I think that was it. To begin with, it For was days, it was just, just immediate family. family. Um, um, just initially, um, and I think as time went by. Um, extended family started coming to visit her um, but the whole process the whole time we were in the hospital both of us weren't working mm -hmm. and we were in the hospital 12 hours a day mm -hmm. and you were just that, there first thing in the morning go yeah. there leave last thing at night and the way the neonatal unit works is at each incubator only one visitor is allowed with one parent they can't come in without the parents oh, right. okay. um, so normally what we do is people would let us know beforehand if they're coming to visit and when and then we would go out one of us would sit outside and the other one would bring the guests in mm -hmm. um, and obviously because it's an intensive care environment and you have to keep you know keep keep in mind there's other babies there who are very ill so if anyone obviously had any colds coughs anything we would let them come yeah. and even when you come they're quite strict with the clothing you're wearing and mm -hmm. hand wash and everything so how many other incubators were in the room then in each room, in Aya's room, initially when we first went, I think there was only six, but eventually there was eight in the one room. Um, but there are several rooms in the neonatal unit, and then there's also a special care unit, which that's kind of the next stage when they start to improve. Okay. Um, but I think was it eight, six or eight in her yeah, room? I think they can in neonatal they can cater for fifty. Yeah, it was round about fifty, 50 children. Yeah. Okay. Um, the room that we were in, all babies were similar um, sort of similar age okay. and similar complications so did you get uh, an opportunity to speak to other parents in a similar situation as yourself and basically while you're there in the neonatal unit you speak to parents yeah. um, I mean when we were first taken there obviously the the consultant sat us down and told us you know this is how this journey is going to be and the staff told us but at that moment in time you're in such a blur yeah. and nothing actually goes in mm -hmm. but then because your incubators all next to each other you end up speaking to other parents and it's through them I think we learned more about you know I remember there was another baby there who was also born at 24 weeks but okay. her parents by that point had been there for about eight weeks right, okay. um, I remember the saying to us it's a complete emotional roller coaster. You mm -hmm. will have days where your baby's doing amazing, and literally within half an hour, they can take a huge dip. And right. it's just preparing for this roller coaster ride that you're now going to be on. And we also had a friend who had a premature baby at 24 weeks, and you know, Masha, she's doing really well now. I think she's <laughs> nearly three years old. Masha. And I remember him saying to us, "Just you need to put your full faith in Allah and just be prepared for the outcome because you don't know." Yes. what's going to happen yeah. but speaking to other parents was really helpful and we've actually we've now made amazing friends through that unit as well okay. and you've kept those friends up yeah I mean it was another baby who was um, next to Aya and again it was similar gestation that he was born mm -hmm. um, and it was actually it was like a long running joke in the unit with Aya and this little baby that it always seemed to be whatever Aya had the next day he would have it okay. and it's like they were constantly yeah. following each other she would improve he would improve she okay. would get worse he would um, and unfortunately Aya passed away and he also passed away a few days after her okay. um, 
But then I had Aya's little sister and his mum had his little brother just a few days after me. Okay. Um, and so I you, think you've been on very similar journeys. Yeah, so. and I think it's again it's been a huge blessing just having that couple with us because yeah. we've literally been through every single thing together. together yeah. Um and no one knows better than someone who's been through it. Of course. Yeah, even in the hospital we almost became each other's rocks. So one day they would be having a good day, we wouldn't mm-hmm. and they would support us and vice yeah. versa so I think that's how we became very close mm-hmm. um, and it's true when you go through a similar situation you have that connection with someone they they know how you feel they understand and naturally we confided in them and they did in us um, and I think that that did help yeah. it certainly helped it certainly helped Saba she's still very close to, to one of the parents and, and speaks to them every day so mm-hmm. I think it is very important not to shut yourself off of course. if you are in that situation speak to the other parents that are in that situation because they are going through the exact same thing and they might need someone to talk to as well yeah yeah. you mentioned friends as support did you have support from family or, or others as well or? Yeah, as I mentioned mm-hmm. uh, in the open we're very close to our families uh, alhamdulillah that's a blessing in itself mm-hmm. and it's, I think it's very important to have that connection with your family for, first and foremost so they were the first ones uh, we turned to apart along with ourselves um, although everyone's way of, of dealing with a situation is different me personally um, I didn't feel I could talk to anyone Really, the only person I'd, if I wanted to talk to someone I would talk to my wife or my parents or my family Mm -hmm. um so that's that's the way i operate but everyone everyone's way of dealing with things is different of course and i think it's important to realize that the way you deal with something is not the wrong way no 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 just so everyone everyone should be you should just be patient with whoever if you are talking to someone in that situation be patient with them Mm -hmm. because they're getting used to that sort of situation yeah that experience i think just yeah in general kind of in practical terms too we were Alhamdulillah, extremely, extremely lucky that we are close to our family because simple things that you take for granted, like having a meal cooked for us, yeah, yeah. Um, not having to come home and now deal with chores and cleaning. Course, and, you know, you'd think that's not a big deal, but there were parents in that unit who is literally just them and their kids. Yeah. And they, had they were to, having yeah. to, and a lot of them actually had other kids. So they were having to sort out childcare. They're in this extremely stressful yeah. environment and then they're having to go home, they're having to cook, they're having to clean. There were also some parents whom their work wasn't as understanding as ours and they were having to go back to work. And it's then trying to figure out, okay, which parent is now going to quit their job because somebody has to be here. Yeah. Whereas with us, my work straight put me on maternity leave, Shiraz's put them on compassionate leave. Uh-huh. Our families would take in turn to bring us food into the unit yeah. um, and then obviously dinner and just to actually come and just give us emotional support yeah. because there were days you know when Aya would take a really big dip and we really really needed a shoulder to cry on and they were mm-hmm. always there and again you would look at other pa- parents who didn't have that support uh-huh. so alhamdulillah we were extremely extremely lucky yeah some, sometimes you just needed a couple of minutes to go get some fresh air yeah and sort of regroup um, because you're in that environment it's stressful all the time monitors are beeping 24 7 mm-hmm. and you just don't know what what's going on so our families are very good with us as well they 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 managed the situation mm-hmm. with us quite well they they knew when to take us away and when and to have be a little here. bit of a break yeah, yeah and when when to be there and when not to be so um alhamdulillah they were very very good with us 
Well, that sounds. I suppose I can understand where you're coming from with regards to you know other parents not having you know an extended support. family or support yeah. network as such. And alhamdulillah, I think we're blessed as you know generally Muslim families in general tend to have you know not more much of support. Support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. family kind of set up as such and you know generally alhamdulillah from in most cases tend to come together when you know a you have a situation and, of know, that nature when, when it's a, 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 a almost a crisis really they, they do tend to come together very often um and certainly have seen that many a case where you know you just have mum and dad and you, all all you have is mum and dad trying to support each other, and you know mum and dad falling apart, and you know yeah, because it's a very stressful it situation, is. Mm-hmm. and it can yeah, take it a toll on a couple. And um, certainly, you know, you have situations where you've got, you know, you could be in a huff for whatever reason, and you know it's understandable yeah. that you could be in a huff with each another, or you know, mm. just generally with the nurses or the doctors, you know. And you know it's an understandable situation because you know you've been told good news, bad news, as you said, a roller coaster. Um, wh- what were the doctors advising you? You know, wh- whilst you were going through all of this, you know, as you, you've kind of mentioned, you know, yeah, what um, to expect to begin with, but then what what happened afterwards? Well, initially, obviously, they had they told us, you know, you need to keep in mind she's so premature that there can be complications and. But again, alhamdulillah with Aya, we were really lucky. I remember the first consultant actually said to us, you've got two things in your favour. One, she's Asian, which apparently, with statistics, Asian babies have a higher survival rate. Mm. And the second thing was that she was a girl. Because again, they don't know why, but in all the research papers, premature baby girls have a higher survival rate than boys. Um, And on top of that, I remember the consultants, they they were genuinely really excited by Aya because all the complications your main complications a premature baby can have normally is they can bleed in the brain, they can get a perforated bowel um, she had none of it and the day after she was born she actually came off her ventilator and was breathing with minimal support okay. at the time I thought this was normal because we've never been in the situation mm-hmm. and it wasn't until other parents said to us that's amazing, it normally takes a good few weeks uh-huh. um, and one of the consultants said she actually went back and looked back at their statistics and in over seven years Aya was the strongest premature baby they had okay so although they had told us all these complications and stuff they too were very hopeful because she didn't have all the standard things that premature baby should have and she was doing so well that they said look it's a case of getting her bigger and once she Mm -hmm. gets to full term she can come home okay um and that was initial obviously as time went on and more and more things happened initially she was doing really well but the main complication happened when she caught an infection while in hospital, which right. it's inevitable. Everyone has heard of hospital-acquired infections. Mm-hmm. Um, and the type of infection she had, um, we were told, is very difficult to survive. And although right. she did, alhamdulillah, which was an absolute miracle, mm-hmm. it then led to further complications. How old was she when she got that infection? She was two weeks old. Two weeks, old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... What kind of hopes did you have at that point in time when you, when you heard that she developed that infection? Um, it's funny any? you mentioned that yesterday, last night we were actually talking mm-hmm. about that and for me, I said to Sava last night that when she did catch that first infection, uh-huh. for some reason I, I always thought she was going to be okay. We had the conversation where the doctors mm-hmm. did say that this could be fatal. Um, 
but I just had this feeling, I had this, I just believed in uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that she was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's very important to have faith in all situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just more as well, when she caught the infection, it was actually the days of Hajj. And we had a lot of people who we knew were at Hajj and the amount of people who were telling us that we're doing the wah for her. And I remember saying to Shaz, and there was people actually contacted me saying we actually had, hadn't read our salah, our namazes in a long time. We've started praying again so we can pray for her. And I remember saying, she's something special. And the amount of people doing the wah for her, she's going to be fine. So although at that moment, we were actually staying in the hospital because it was so yeah. touch and go, mm-hmm. but we still were like, there's so many people doing the wah for her that she's going to be fine. We truly did believe that, and she was. She fought off the infection after three days. I remember every consultant who came, who would look, they would open her notes, and as soon as they'd see this infection she had, it was called um, gram-negative septicemia, their faces would just drop. And the very first consultant who told us, we just thought, you know what, he's just really pessimistic, Mm -hmm. because other parents have told us this, that he just, he's very blunt, so we thought, no, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But there was one consultant who was one of the most optimistic doctors there, and I think it was when she also said, you know, we we dread this infection in these babies because they can't survive it. Um, and I think it was when there was a room there which all the parents used to call the crying room and it was known as that's the room when you get taken into there you know it's bad news. Mm-hmm. So we got taken into the room and we were told, you know, we're not expecting her to survive this. She's, she's too young and they said if an adult was to catch this infection they can't survive. Really? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the drugs, the bacteria is very resistant to them um, and it's difficult for an adult never mind a premature baby mm-hmm. um, and so they said to us you know basically for the next 40 hours we're going to carry on treating but a lot of it is just keeping her comfortable mm-hmm. um, and they gave us a room and the unit to stay in so that we mm-hmm. can just be by her side because they said it can be any point anything can happen and we'd rather mm-hmm. you're here mm-hmm. um, and like I said before yes they had said that and obviously we were upset but I just remember thinking at the time, there's people on Hudge just now who are doing the wah for her. And Allah accepts all the wahs at Hudge. And that's all I kept thinking. And mm-hmm. like I said, there's people who contacted me saying, I have actually started praying Manamaz again because I want to do the wah for Aya. And I thought, my girl's doing this. So I kept saying to Shaz, she's something special. Allah's brought her here for a purpose. She's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then I remember on the third day, they took us back into that room, which again, mm-hmm. I thought, right, this is it. But I was confused because we used to be there on the ward round every day. Right. And on the ward round, the way things were was, I thought she was improving. So they took us into this room. Right. But the news was, her infection markers have actually cleared. And I remember we just thought, oh my God, subhanAllah, That's like funny. this wasn't supposed yeah. to happen, mm-hmm. but it did. And she fought the infection. But they did say to us at the time, although she has fought it, her lungs have really taken a huge blow because of the infection mm-hmm. um, and obviously a premature baby her lungs were already underdeveloped um, but even at the time they were still optimistic because they said because her lungs were so strong at the beginning stronger than what they expected right. she's still in a better position than what other babies would be so we're still hopeful um, and then it was the case of taking it from there and trying to get her back up and get stronger again mm-hmm. um, but sh- what ended up happening was because her lungs had gotten so damaged she was relying on the ventilator and 
with the ventilator you're in a catch-22 situation because when you're on it you need it mm-hmm. but it also damages your lungs right. the longer you're on it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they try to take the, the, you off as quick as they can mm-hmm. but they did make one attempt they did take her off it but she only lasted a day and she had to go back on right. um, and it got to a point where they were actually going to do heart surgery on her because premature babies there's a valve every baby has that's mm-hmm. open when they're in the womb mm-hmm. when you're born at full term that shuts but when a premature baby because they're born early it doesn't mm-hmm. and some of them it will eventually close itself but if it doesn't they can either try medication or surgery and with yeah. Aya they did try the medication and it didn't work yeah. um, so they said they were going to surgery which and I still remember at that point it was the, in the morning they said we're going to do it in a few hours um, all our families came we were outside nobody was allowed to visit her mm-hmm. but they came to the unit anyway and we just sat outside and just kept reciting we were reading Yasin and yeah. whatever we could think of mm-hmm. um, and after I think it was an hour the surgery yeah, yeah I remember the consultant came out and he had the biggest grin on his face and he was like that was amazing yes. that valve was so big that I managed to get it and he was genuinely like so excited um, so again subhanAllah that was another thing that was that went in our favour mm-hmm. Um Bits from then, things kind of went downhill because although her surgery was successful, it didn't help her breathing in any way. And the day after the surgery, I'd got a phone call that morning. Anytime anything happened, they would phone us. Right. Um, so we'd got a phone call in the morning saying her ventilation requirements are up at 100%. But even then, I thought, well, they did say that can happen after surgery, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's fine. We were kind of expecting this, so we said, no, it's fine. And we went and... It was in total. It was a period of ten days where all Aya's issue was was it was her ventilator requirements. They right. they weren't managing to bring them down. She wasn't getting any worse, but she wasn't improving. Okay. Um, but there was a point where do you remember even the consultants? Well, you went back to work for a couple of days, um, but there was a point the consultants were really confused because every time they would try something new on her she would improve right. and you could see the excitement in their face that right we've got it this is mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. but every single time they'd go for the second dose of that medication she'd be back at square one right. and they couldn't figure out why she initially responding and then we don't know what's happening right. and every time mm-hmm. they would take all her bloods they were all coming back normal but obviously on the machine it was showing she was needing 100% ventilation requirements mm-hmm. so it was really confusing for them it was confusing for us um but I mean, subhanAllah, the, the unit, they were amazing. They were trying things they've never tried in the unit before. Mm-hmm. Because I remember one consultant said to me, any other baby, we would give up after two days because this high ventilation requirement isn't good. But said she was so strong that we're not willing to let go mm-hmm. because they had been genuinely so excited by mm-hmm. her at the beginning mm-hmm. that it was frustrating for them that why can we not get over this hurdle? Because mm-hmm. if I had got over that hurdle because she had no other complications said she could live a completely normal life mm-hmm. apart from maybe having childhood asthma mm-hmm. um, and the first few years she might get you know get a lot of infections and colds mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. her lungs mm-hmm. are underdeveloped but once she reaches the age of five she'll let grow this so it was frustrating for them too because there was nothing else wrong um, and there's all these signs for them yeah something positive is meant to come from this yeah but it's just like I said as the days were going on Although she wasn't getting worse, she wasn't getting better. She was just, she was stable, um, but the conversation did come up three times in those ten days where they sat us down, saying, "We think you need to make the decision now to turn her machines off." And every time, we fought it and said no. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I remember at the time thinking, you don't know my girl. She has fought through so, so oh. much. Um, and I think you kind of build like a fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. thought, she survived her labour. She survived that infection. Yeah. They don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you kind of, you feel like invincible. Like I said, I would fight with them saying, no, she's fine. She's going to do this. She, she'll be okay. Um, but on the last kind of the second the two nights before she passed away mm-hmm. I used to always phone the hospital about three in the morning just to find out her progress and her last three days it was the same nurse she had mm-hmm. and every time I'd phone she'd be she'd always say to me you know you carry on seeing your prayers she's doing great she's fine mm-hmm. um and so it was actually amazing even when we used to be next to her in the incubator I used to open her wee incubator door and start reciting and whenever mm-hmm. I did her numbers would calm down um I remember one night one nurse came to me and said do you want to do that for the rest of the babies whatever <laughs> you're doing because she was this is amazing every time you sit there and we don't know what you're saying but her heart rate would calm down mm-hmm. and her oxygen sats would start to improve and it was whenever I was reciting something mm-hmm. and again that's why I thought subhanAllah Allah's on my side yeah. she's going to be okay they don't know what they're talking about mm-hmm. because whenever I'm doing dua for her she is showing improvement but on that night when I phoned and it was the same nurse and it was her tone of voice when I said how's she doing she just said pet you need to keep praying and that was it she was just quiet and I remember that morning while we were getting ready to go I just kept crying and she was like has somebody phoned has something happened Mm -hmm. and I said no but I I know something's not right Um, so we got to the hospital and when we went in I as nurse said to us the consultant wants to speak to you and I just said yeah I know and when we walked in, she said, look, we are now at the stage where there's literally nothing else. We don't know where else to try. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd even actually, the two days before, when they had, they didn't know what else to do, they actually went by what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had wanted them to take her off her sedation and wake her up because they had sedated her and paralysed her. Right. In my head, I thought, let her wake up and let her fight this. Right. So and they did. They actually agreed to it, and they did try it. Mm-hmm. And she actually did show a slight bit of improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was back at square one again. So they said, "Look, we've now we've tried everything. We've also tried what you wanted, and we literally we don't know what else to do." Um, so that day they moved Aya to a private room, um, and we both called. We both called our families. Um, to come and see her and just close friends and you know we had a full day where we could just just be with her without doctors interfering mm-hmm. we had a nurse obviously mm-hmm. um but they just they were just making her comfortable mm-hmm. um we took her at the incubator and we got to hold her as long as we wanted and as well it was amazing because that day was the first day in 10 days where her machines weren't going crazy mm-hmm. and it and now I always think back thinking that was from Allah he gave me a really good last day with her mm-hmm. where it wasn't because in the run up to that her machines were constantly beeping because her breathing was so bad mm-hmm. but in that day I actually don't remember them going off you know and I think Allah kind of knew give them this need that give them, yeah. yeah so we you know we the families all came we got to hold her and me and Shah stayed the night um, and I still remember that night I was holding because Shaz had gone to rest and the nurse was sitting with me and I was holding I and I was stroking her and she was smiling. It was like the biggest smile and 
And obviously, I obviously thought she was beautiful. She was my daughter. Yeah. But I remember the nurse saying, you know what, she looks absolutely amazing just now. She had this glow to her. Um, even in between, we actually had nurses who weren't looking after I. I used to come and ask if they can see her because they heard she was so, so beautiful. And finally, she was. She was amazing. Um, but like I said, she was glowing. She just she looked incredible. And that night, because her numbers had actually improved at one point, mm-hmm. to the point where I actually called the consultant to speak to me, and I said, I'm not turning anything off. And I said, look at her numbers. How can I then t- say to you, mm-hmm. yeah, switch this machine off? Mm-hmm. And they said, look, that's not what we're asking you to do. We're going to sit down in the morning and we're going to make a plan and we're just going to see how things go. Mm-hmm. And but if you're not comfortable doing something, we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still remember that night we both did a staccata mm-hmm. because in my head I was like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know when I'm supposed to do this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying to Shiraz, what if we say switch machine on off and it's too early and she had a fighting chance mm. obviously you know Allah has written a team for everyone so you're going to go when Allah says but when you're mm. in that situation you're not thinking of these things you're still hoping yeah you're still yeah. Praying. yeah and my biggest fear was either if we switch it off too early or even if we switch it off too late and I thought I, d- I don't want to be the one to let her suffer because I'm stubborn mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think for both of us it was how do we? How can we make that decision? Yeah. And we don't want to make that decision, but on the flip side, we yeah. didn't want her to suffer either. Yeah. Um. So it was a very difficult, uh, difficult night, and because that was running through both of our minds, um. But we were, Alhamdulillah, I was lucky. The whole family, uh, got to meet Aya, yeah. uh, both my side and Saba's side, mm-hmm. um couple of really close friends came down they got to meet her as well so in that sense um yeah it was a blessing everyone got to see her it was the, it was the last night but it was in that morning um it was to be honest sub always says she she had a good night with her she was doing better than mm-hmm. she was the night before um so what actually happened that morning sub went into the room to get have some breakfast or what have you and I came back and the consultants were in the room mm-hmm. um, and she had taken one of her dips but it was a little bit more severe than right. what I'd seen before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I waited there and I watched them and usually it's just the nurses that attend to the babies but there's um, I'm sure it was two consultants, maybe one. Mm-hmm. I, I can't really remember, but there was certainly a consultant helping out, which is Unusual. very rare. Yeah, And he said, you sh- I think you should go get your wife. So, mm-hmm. so I was only a matter of 15 metres away, so she wasn't far. So I called her in and we were both there. We, we both seen the numbers. They were right down. Mm-hmm. And that's when we got told that um, they were just going to take the ventilator off that's mm-hmm. that's what was Decided. making her breathe mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. and both of us were just just in shock and we I think initially remember they sat us down they had to mention the ventilator at that point but they sat me down I remember them saying you need to comfort her so they took her out um, and I held her and Shiraz automatically started reciting the gulma mm-hmm. Um it's like it's an automatic reaction. You just you start, and I just remember I kept stroking her and I kept saying, "Be brave." 
Um, it was this at this point where, like I said, the, the ventilator was off. She was breathing herself, but she wasn't breathing really breathing. It was mm-hmm. her heart was mm-hmm. beating. And we were just, both of us were just praying. We knew it was the last mm-hmm. moments. We had been told it was the last moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was as chaotic as it was with staff there and machines. When I remember back at it, it seemed really calm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, all I remember is holding her. And I do remember the consultant saying, look, I'm taking this off because she's actually gone. This ventilator is just is keeping her lungs going, but her heart had gone. Okay. Um, so they took it off so that the last few seconds we could actually see her full face because we'd never seen her face without the tubes in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they took it off and they left the room. And it was just me, Shraz and her. And we'd carried on reciting... Um, and then they came back in just to double check that there mm-hmm. was no pulse and there wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still actually remember that time, the minute they said there's no pulse, straight away we just said, And I when I think back, I always think Allah literally guided us every mm-hmm. single step of the way because you would think you would be in shock, which we were, and you know, yeah. we were crying, we were screaming, but those words still left our mouth because Allah was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the main thing for us, whenever we think back to that morning and the way everything happened was, SubhanAllah, Allah took that decision out of our hands. Yeah. We never had to have that discussion to sit down and say, yeah, do it now, mm-hmm. take it off. We never got the chance mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact we know the the hadiths about um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't put you through anything you can't deal with. So mm-hmm. I think that maybe was a situation... I think Allah knew that some, that was as difficult much, as everything yeah. else is, I think he knew that was something that was, mm-hmm. we couldn't, mm-hmm. there was no way I could deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. And I think, to honest, I don't know what was going on I said I know our family members came, but they didn't know at that moment in time what had actually happened. They right. were coming to visit. That, okay. Um, so I think the nurse had already told them outside. Um, and I just remember my mum opening the door and we just had eye in our arms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just close family then just got to come and see her mm-hmm. how old was she? 47 days so you've gone through this very intense period of time and she's passed on how quickly did the funeral and all the proceedings happen after that? Um, it actually happened very quickly. I passed. So away she passed away day. in the in the morning, and the janaza was the next day. Mm-hmm. Friday. It was on Juma. So Subhanallah, that was a, a blessing in itself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the janaza was the next day. Um, it went as smooth as it could, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sabah gave her a go so mm-hmm. we read the Janaza prayer and uh, off to the graveyard so where normal proceedings take place but it's very difficult they always say the most difficult loss is a child yes they do I think it's um, we had kind of discussed it beforehand like that morning our close family we said come and see her obviously right. on the Thursday mm-hmm. Um 
and I was quite adamant about the fact that on the Janazi, you know, the way our Janazi work, we normally yeah. they have the body out and everybody comes to see them. Mm-hmm. And I had been to a Janazi of a child before because we have a mm-hmm. fa- close family member who'd lost a baby at two years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was people coming, treating it like it was a show. Right. You know, they're bringing little kids and they're hovering over this body. And I said, I, I, I didn't want that. So mm-hmm. on the Friday in the morning, we told family and close friends to come now and come see her straight after I gave her Gosel mm-hmm. and then after that we put her body away because I didn't want everybody obviously it was Juma it was going to be a yeah. busy time mm-hmm. I didn't want everybody else to see her because mm-hmm. that to me was a personal yeah. thing and I didn't mm-hmm. want a big show I wanted everything to go smoothly yeah. and I felt it was only right for close family and friends to mm-hmm. see her mm-hmm. everybody else if they're coming they're coming to do dua for her yeah. they're not coming to see her mm-hmm. um, so my, I gave her Gosel myself but I had both mums and my sister and my sister were there with me mm-hmm. um, just to keep me calm and assist yeah. me but I did it all myself because I wanted to do it myself mm-hmm. um, the family came and saw her and then after the Janaza prayer obviously Shraz and all the males in the family then took her to the graveyard um, but it just seemed to be a bit of a blur Yeah, I think most of the day and I remember loads there were so many women just coming back and forth and hugging me and seeing things and I just remember standing there in a daze mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because everything because it happened so quick as well of course. Um, see I always knew though after the janaza it's the next step Yeah. Um, there's been a few sort of deaths in the family from my side mm-hmm. so I sort of knew the process of, of grieving right. and so I since I I had sort of experienced that in the past. I sort of knew what steps were coming next, whereas for some it was a little bit more difficult, plus the, the relation was Much com- is yeah. completely different yeah, yeah. as well. Um, but my, my Taya and I lost their son, my cousin, mm-hmm. who was my age, mm-hmm. 30, 31, 32 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they went through that same thing. And to me, he was a brother. Mm-hmm. So I had seen that from the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so my sort of grieving process was a lot quicker than say Subba's but I thought mm-hmm. I always said to Subba it's very important that if to get to this to get to certain stages you have to get there in your own time no one can push you yeah. and I made it very clear that if you feel that I'm pushing you to get to a, to get to a certain stage then please say because someone has to, that person has to get get to that stage of themselves um, there's you, sorry, sorry, no sorry, sorry on you go no, 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 no. Um, so yeah I was, I was just saying that it, it takes time to get to a situation where you can openly speak um, about what's happened and it's been a, it's been a tough couple of years for us mm-hmm. but each day we each day that we that passes we get stronger mm-hmm. and I always just look at my day and Daya they're, they're the perfect example mm-hmm. and Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, they're amazing the way they've they've dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And so, they're the strongest people you'd meet, yeah, because of what they've been through. Yeah, I mean, did you find obviously you've gone through all of this? You have the the rush of the funeral, all of the people coming in and out. Yeah. At what point did you have time to sort of think about everything? You know, on your own in your own time. You know. 
I think that happens when the visitors stop, stop. coming mm-hmm. and a sense of normality comes back. Um, that's when Sabah and I both sat down and reflect on what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have the questions, the what if questions, the why questions, yeah. the how questions. Um, I think that's no matter how strong your faith is, we're human at the end of the day. Yeah. And you're always, even now, it's been a year and a half, there'll still be days sometimes you start thinking, but wait, why? Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. But then it's important to hold on to your faith for that reason because that's that's what brings you back. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important when you do ask that question, why it's very important to realise that it's Allah's will. Yeah. Everything is Allah's will. Mm-hmm. Has this process of losing, you know, your child, has it strengthened your relationship with Allah in comparison to how you saw yourself yes. um, before? Uh, very much so. I would say our our relationship like together as husband and wife mm-hmm. and that connection with, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm-hmm. actually started increasing after we went to Hajj right. which was the year before I was born right. so I've said it many a times that this situation I would I feel I would struggle to deal with if I hadn't done Hajj um, I think it's just more you automatically become stronger your relationship becomes stronger with Allah because you need that to get through um, you know with me I remember someone said to me that Allah will try and speak to you in certain ways look out for signs and subhanAllah it was amazing I remember on one occasion I was having a really really bad day and I kept blaming myself thinking if I had done this this would have happened or if I had done that and that day I opened the Quran just randomly at a random page because you always hear people say that to you that turn to the Quran and Sunnah for comfort and when I opened it it was in Surah Hajj and it was the ayah about when Allah puts the, the life into a woman and it starts off as a clot and then after mm-hmm. 40 days and so on and it says in that, that after 120 days when the soul is blown into that clot Allah mm-hmm. decides at that moment in time how long this child is going to live for mm-hmm. and I remember when I saw that and I thought it's like it's a Allah saying to you again reminding you that this wasn't in your control it was, it yeah. was his yeah, decision that when Aya was mm-hmm. in me it was already decided that this is how long she's going to live for and subhanAllah just reading that it helped so much because that was one of the days where I kept thinking if this happened yeah. if that yeah. happened um, and that's how your relationship grows stronger with Allah because you're, you're literally you're turning to him and you're you're pouring your heart out to him and you're seeking guidance from him because you know there's nowhere else you can yeah, get that, that that is the only avenue that you can go down mm-hmm. to get the sort of comfort that you're looking for or to get to the next stage that you're that you need to get to to move on with your lives because it's actually it's it's a sunnah to actually you you grieve and continue on with your life yeah you you can't stand still um so I think it's very important to realise that yes, the only way I will be able to continue on with my life is to is to turn to Allah. to Allah subhanahu mm-hmm. Allah, to turn to to have faith, um, and we realise that very quickly. And you did you find comfort in the fact that Ayah is guaranteed Jannah? Yeah, I mean the hadith. Yeah, you know them, but you kind of cling on to them. 
Like there's a hadith. Obviously, you know that a child who passes goes to Jannah. Yeah. And then there's a hadith that that child will take your garment on the day of judgment and lead you into Jannah. Yeah. Um, and I know we both actually picture that moment where we think Aya is going to come to us and you know, we'll finally get to be with her again. Um, and there's also the hadith about you know dealing with these situations. Um, when the believer says, you do truly put your faith in Allah, then it says Allah builds a house in paradise for them. Um, I, I think it's important to stress though that, you know, especially as a brief parent, these hadith do give you comfort, but they don't take the pain away. Mm. I think a lot of times some people think, you know, well, we've told you these hadith, you know, you should be fine now, and why are you not getting better? The pain's not going to lessen. It's just that's what gets you going. It is what yeah. lets you deal with things and get on with your day-to-day things without mm-hmm. breaking down. Mm-hmm. But that pain's never going to go because that was your child and it, it can't go. And even if you look at our Prophet Wasallam, when he lost his son, he yeah. cried, yeah. he wept for him, he was inconsolable at one point. And that is the strongest of believers and even he was upset. So we're normal human beings. Yeah. So we're bound to get upset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you obviously had lots of visitors that didn't help in terms of what people might say? I think I it's not that. um not helping. I th- at the time you do get upset by certain things people yeah. say. Um but I think now when I realise is they're they're trying to help. No one obviously intentionally wants to upset you or hurt you. It's of just course. when you've not been in that situation you think you're helping. And I actually found I think it's something more in our culture people mm-hmm. feel they have to say something yeah yeah um like you know just to say you know what you're in my is, is enough yeah i remember i had a lot of women um saying you know what you're young you can have more kids so don't worry and so i thought that doesn't that doesn't take matter yeah. yeah i still lost one of my it's children it's not really their fault yeah that's what i'm saying I think they it's, think it's just a, they're, they're, they're finding their silver lining yeah it's an uncomfortable situation mm-hmm. and i think people just try to diffuse that yeah somehow um it's not we don't blame anyone for that no no, no but and i'm sure mm-hmm. i'm sure i've done that in the past um but yes, yeah, it's just, they've, they've it's just one of those things. Yeah. Think, okay, this is probably the best way to comfort someone, and yeah. they're trying their best. But you're saying really sometimes just offering your condolences. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, to when there's even times where even all the hadith and everything, mm-hmm. you don't even want to hear that. You just want to know, you know what you're in my du'as. Yeah. yeah. Although for me, I think you as well. The most important thing, especially after the whole initial people coming to visit us, was whenever someone does come across us, is to mention Aya. Um, you want them to mention Yes. You want and them to ask you You know, you'll mm-hmm. find... Obviously, brief parents is, is, is actually quite a big community. Yeah. And any brief parent you'll speak to will always say how much comfort they get when they hear the child's name. It's like a reassurance to you that others haven't forgotten. All right. Because that, for me, that's always my biggest fear, that mm-hmm. what if people forget her? Mm-hmm. And I think... Plus, I found it quite sad that when people were coming to visit me, there was a lot of women from the older generation... Mm-hmm these are women I had known for a long time mm-hmm. who said to me I too had lost a child and I thought I, I, I never knew yeah, that yeah. but in that time in their generation was a case of it's happened Just we don't speak about it we move on and you get you over don't it, speak of it and, yeah. mm-hmm. and you know they've never got the chance to grieve, grieve it yeah. um, whereas with me 
and again it's not just me a lot of bereaved parents to speak to they want to hear their child's name yeah. you want to know that Aya is remembered mm-hmm. and people acknowledge that she was our child regardless yeah. of the fact she's not here anymore and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, you know yeah. that was my biggest fear when I fell pregnant again with Aya's little sister mm-hmm. I kept thinking people better not forget Aya this is my second child yeah. and I think that's why one of the main reasons to set up the foundation um, so was this is, this is the Aya Noah Foundation yeah the Aya Noah Foundation that we d- decided to set up was another way of keeping her name alive mm-hmm. um, and using her to give back to underprivileged um, children or any cause really um, can you tell that, us about that's the, out there. a bit about the aims of what the foundation um, aims to do basically the Aya Noah Foundation we actually spoke about it while Aya was in the unit still alive mm-hmm. and we'd mm-hmm. said regardless of the outcome we want to do something because see when you're there you see the amount of care giving but these incubators these machines yeah. which are literally that's the reason we had six and a half weeks with her um, and we used to say if we lived in a country where we had to pay for healthcare we would never be able to afford it or if we lived somewhere like Syria or like Gaza they mm-hmm. actually don't even have the facilities mm-hmm. never mind paying for them if they do it's mm-hmm. maybe three four yes. babies yeah. in the in one incubator, incubator. Yeah. Like, you know the conditions are so bad and, and then after she passed away we used to think we're living with the grief of losing a child but there's parents who are not only living with that grief but also living with the fact that there was nothing they could do was at least we know we gave her the best care we possibly yeah. could mm-hmm. um so that was our aim i think because you know what a parent is going through and if there's any way you can comfort them that was what we wanted to do by providing you know medical equipment and incubators to places that don't have it you're giving that child a chance of survival but you're also giving their parents comfort that yeah. you were trying and we mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. at the end of this whatever happens is Allah's will but at least we've tried um, and that was the main thing I think just knowing I think it'd be heartbreaking knowing that a parent has lost a child but they're also having all these other things to deal with that they couldn't do anything mm-hmm. um, when something can be done yes yeah. you know. because it can like, yeah. we have the facilities yeah. here it's just yeah. these people are unfortunate enough to be born in a place where they don't have the facilities and that's mm-hmm. not their fault mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so if we have the means to help them then we should that's why Allah has given us the these means that's why Allah has let us be born in a place where we have these facilities we should then be using whatever we have to then help others because it's Allah who's given us these things. It's not that we were lucky; we were just born here. Allah put us here for a reason. So you you've obviously set up the foundation in order to benefit others. Were there any organisations that you benefited from as a parent that as a bereaved parent? Um, um, did you seek counselling or the main one which I would recommend to all bereaved parents is it's a Manchester-based charity called Children of Jannah. Um, and they're trained counsellors and they're amazing because they do, they've got all these publications on the actual hadith and they comfort you, but they're also trained counsellors and they can speak to you. Um, and initially I think we both didn't want to speak to anybody else, but I did actually reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually just, they just sit and listen. It wasn't like they felt like they had to say something. They mm-hmm. just, I could tell them everything about Aya. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they told me the hadith and stuff, but then it was a case of like, what do you now want to do? Mm-hmm. How are you going to now deal with this? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're brilliant. And, you know, they send you a bereavement pack and it has du'as in it. Mm-hmm. It's got um, other parents, what they've been through, their stories inside it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you read some of these stories, not that God forbid you think, oh, thank God that wasn't me. 
but you realise someone's in that same situation that you're not yeah. the only one because you do sometimes feel like this is just you you're, you're in alone. this bubble yeah. And, yeah. and it's not until you realise not only do other people go through it but some of them have actually been through worse mm-hmm. there's parents in that charity who have had multiple losses whose children and it wasn't even at birth they're three four years old and and you just think oh my god I'm struggling so much what are they going through mm-hmm. and you also have the chance to communicate with these parents um, there's a lot of other kind of charities out there there's Bliss which is for premature babies mm-hmm. um, and that's quite good at just getting your head around how to deal with a premature baby mm-hmm. um, there's child loss groups there's they're, they're Simba and there's Sands which again is for parents to contact other parents who have had the loss right. of a child because that's who you can speak to the most as a parent who's been through what you have um, right. so like I so said there's all these support groups Children of Jannah though I think was what really? I found most comfort in so is it a helpline or no, they have there's a website um, okay. and like I so said the trained counsellors they actually hold um, actual meetings but that's more if you're down south mm-hmm. because that's where they're based but the, you can contact them through phone um, through email and you can contact as many times as you want okay. and they've also got closed Facebook groups one for dads and one for mums mm-hmm. so you can speak okay. to other parents um, and they've also got their publications they've got books of for duas books mm-hmm. just of counselling mm-hmm. um, and it's all down to you when you want to approach them and if you want a second meeting it's up to you if you don't it's entirely no one pushes you to do anything um, Did you I think naturally women tend to talk a lot more about yes. anything and everything <laughs> but, uh, particularly when you've when you've got a situation where you're trying to you know get your mind around stuff did you find yourself sure as you know you were talking to people or anybody um like i said earlier i'm quite i, I don't show emotion very quickly um and if i was to speak to someone I would speak to my wife or my mum and dad first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I find the concept of speaking to a stranger difficult. Yeah. That's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, people operate in different ways. Um, and I think it is important not to try and play the tough guy role too much. If you feel like you do need to talk to someone, then do reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have that connection with your family, speak to your family. If you don't, and you feel you need to speak to somebody else, then I would definitely recommend like a like Children of Jannah mm-hmm. um, or some sort of bereavement group. Mm-hmm. Um, so you contacted the, them yourself? I've, I've seen the material. Yeah. I've not actually spoke to anyone. Okay. Um, but looking at the material, it is helpful. But you'd mm-hmm. recommend it? I would highly recommend it if someone is uh, in this situation. Did, did um, you find it? I'm assuming this is a Muslim-run yes, it is, yeah. um, charity. Um, Would you personally have gone to any other, uh, for example, a, a non-Muslim charity? I think that. I, I think or? if I was actively looking for one, I would ah. certainly look for an Islamic one mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. and foremost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where you find your comfort. Yeah, and yeah. to yeah. us, our yeah. faith is is very important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd always look down that avenue first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And because I think honest, it's important. Even the non-Muslim charities, uh-huh. the comfort they give their bereaved parents is your child is in heaven. Uh-huh. So okay. it's the same okay. thing. And I actually remember one of Aya's nurses, um, when Aya was about a couple of weeks old, she actually told us that she'd lost her son when he was in his 20s. And before that, she was a devout Catholic, very religious, but she said she lost all faith. Mm-hmm. And she said, I was too angry to turn to God. Mm-hmm. But then when Aya passed away, and when she came and hugged me and she said, please don't lose your faith because you'll end up like me 
and even yeah. like she knew she needed her she faith yeah. but she yeah. felt as if she'd hit a point where she couldn't turn back yeah. Yeah. and she yeah. even this is someone who doesn't believe in God anymore it was saying to us you need to believe in God you need to have your faith because it's the only thing That's that gets you through it just makes you realise what a blessing we have that we have all these yeah. kind of organisations yeah. that are Muslim and provide you know trained counsellors you know yeah. but um well, it's obviously not the same situation everywhere. And, you know, I think back 20 years or so, you know, we didn't have these kind of things. Yeah. And the only alternative would have been to possibly go to see your GP or, you know, your friend or mate or something or another. Um, so, yeah, alhamdulillah, I, I suppose things are going in the right kind of direction. Yeah, certainly. Um, but you kind of mentioned to a degree about um, connecting with other bereaving parents or, yeah. you know, um, you, you mentioned something about, you know, being in touch with those people and, you know, having those kind of support ne- networks. Tell us a bit more about that. Um, I think, again, it's just it's a more personal thing because we had those parents in the unit who we're now friends with who, because a child went through every single thing the same way, they actually live quite far from us. So it's just through text messages. But I speak to the mum every single day mm-hmm. and I remember there used to be points where I'd be having a bad day and she would perk me up and then mm-hmm. the next day she would have a bad day and mm-hmm. I'd be like right listen this is what we, this is what you have to mm-hmm. do um, with regards to other child loss groups I've, I have them on Facebook but I've actually never actively joined them or mm-hmm. spoke to anyone because because I have her and I have my family and I've spoken to children Janna, I don't yeah. feel the need to but mm-hmm. With the other child loss groups, it's just is reading their stories. Yeah. Then again, is that reassurance again that you're not alone. Oh. Um, but speaking to bereaved parent, parents, I would say is the main thing that if you're going through this situation, reach out because mm-hmm. they'll understand. There'll be days where, if someone was to listen to you, they'd think you're crazy. Okay. How can you be thinking these things? And it's only a bereaved parent who'll understand that what you're thinking is completely normal and you will get through it mm-hmm. okay. you know there was there was an article I was reading and it describes grief as waves and it says initially those waves come constant yeah. and they're like 50 feet high 80 feet high and then you get to a stage where they lessen as they come and you will finally get to a stage where you can anticipate it mm-hmm. for example if something's coming up like a birthday or something mm-hmm. you know that wave is going to come mm-hmm. but you've got yourself to a situation where you know how to cope with the wave mm-hmm. you know what your coping mechanisms are tell us about your coping mechanisms what do you do I think with me my main thing has always been I turn to the Quran okay um, and like we were actually discussing this last night mm-hmm. I said to Shiraz that Allah has he's literally given us a guide to show us how to deal with every single thing possible mm-hmm. in our lives including grieving mm-hmm. and a loss mm-hmm. and you Quran and Sunnah when you turn to that you do get a huge sense of comfort mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing with me is, I know when I there's been a day when I haven't really spoke about I am much with someone, I need to then speak about her because mm-hmm. I know that's what it is. And mm-hmm. another huge place I find comfort is actually the graveyard. Mm-hmm. If I've not been to visit I in a while, that's when I know that I need to go. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I'm having a really bad day, then I'll take someone and say, "Listen, I need to go." Mm-hmm. And just standing there and just, trans most of them is just standing mm-hmm. and not even doing anything, but just knowing that you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, it's weird to describe it, but, you know, normally you do dua and that's it. Mm-hmm. But it's the case of not doing dua, but actually talking to Allah. Mm-hmm. Like literally pouring your heart out and saying, you know, Allah, this is how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I need you to give me supper. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my coping mechanism is when I know I've had a bad day is sitting at Janma's and literally just pour everything out to Allah. Mm-hmm. This is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the both of us, 
I think it's each other as well mm-hmm. that when we, you when you're going through a really difficult time that you know I'm really missing her today we'll just we'll speak to each other mm-hmm. and we'll just talk about our time in the hospital and what I used to be like and we'll look at some photos and things and that kind of helps you cope. Even then sometimes it's not even not even talking about it you just acknowledging the fact that okay I'm missing her today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you don't sometimes you don't need to say anything yeah but, but you, just you just need to know mm-hmm. yeah. um, I think that's important as well but Alhamdulillah we're we're at a good place now I would say mm-hmm. um, we've got our second child Mina Aya Heather mm-hmm. uh, so we kept Aya as a mother how old she is now? she's nine months now Alhamdulillah um, little rascal she is <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah she's getting bigger mashallah so she's doing really well um, and I think she, it was also I remember we um, with Aya because we while I was in the unit I used to write a diary for her every mm-hmm. day I mm-hmm. would write her progress and I used to say to her as when she's older I'm going to show her this, this is what we went through mm-hmm. and we've got little blankets and hats mm-hmm. which actually the I Know Foundation we also donate blankets and hats to yes. the neonatal unit here mm-hmm. because for us it's a huge comfort that we've got to keep them mm-hmm. we wanted other parents to have that mm-hmm. so basically we've got a big memory box at home with all of Aya's things mm-hmm. and when Mina came along that's what we used to say we always say now you know when she's older I'm going to show her this and we say this was your big sister and we've got something there there Mm -hmm. hard to see because I used to always think I've got all these things and Aya's not here who am I supposed to show them to and that's what Shira said when I came along goes you've got her Mm -hmm. and she'll know all about her big sister and which is another thing I would actually stress for bereaved parents as well have memories have something that you can look back at Mm -hmm. and again it's something in our culture it's quite a taboo subject and not spoken about but yeah, you should have I think it's very important that so it's you, spoken of even like you, you you took photographs you said of, of that was while she was in the unit yeah. um, not when she passed away we yeah. didn't but um, while she was there they used to always encourage us that you know take photos and right. you know the first time I got to hold her we've got a photo mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Um, the first time we saw her um, and even not even if we didn't have the photos, like I said, we have the diary that I mm-hmm. wrote. Yeah. Um, we have her blankets, the ones that she actually used, mm-hmm. and her hats that she mm-hmm. used. Um, even she had a tiny, tiny little blood pressure cuff, which is about the size of my finger. Mm-hmm. We've got that. We've actually, one of the nurses, bless her, she wrote us a card from Aya um, for her mummy and daddy to say, mm-hmm. you know, I'm coming home soon and I can't wait to be with you. So mm-hmm. we have that. Mm-hmm. Um after she passed away the nurse made her handprints and footprints we have them mm-hmm. um, you know there's lot, lots of little keepsakes and because I was making this memory box I'd actually asked both our families if everyone can contribute something towards it and I said mm-hmm. you know if she was here you would have given her something mm-hmm. so I want something for the box everyone's given just tiny little keepsakes mm-hmm. um, and all these things are inside her box and like I said any time I've come across someone who has lost a child that's one of the first things I say to them is make sure you have keepsakes have mm-hmm. memories because it's not to show anyone else it's for you yeah. yeah it was beautiful actually at the start when you talked about your family you mentioned that you have two children and, I always do and I, and I think that's that it, it reinforces that memory of her yeah um, because a lot of people might just say oh I've got one child and say and not even mention the yeah. fact that they've gone through and that you process know, some people do do that and that's their choice but I know there's parents who do that but they feel so guilty of it afterwards yeah. um, 
with me there's actually been times there was once I was out with Mina I was shopping mm-hmm. and I had a a woman come to me say oh my god your baby's so beautiful and mm-hmm. she's so cute and is she your first and I remember I'd, I didn't even hesitate I said no she's my second and I said I have a daughter she's in heaven um, I remember her reaction she actually said to me and now you've got an angel on earth to look after you mm-hmm. too and I was like her reaction was to give comfort and I know there <laughs> might be times where I get asked a lot if Mina's my first and I always say no and there are times that people might feel a bit uncomfortable when I've said that um, but for me it's important mm-hmm. to mention her because I can't not she was my child mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do keep in mind is like I said I know for some people it's a bit of an uncomfortable situation so whenever I do say no she's my second to have a daughter in heaven I will then make sure that I keep talking and I'll calm mm-hmm. the situation because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable but I, it's important for me to say it as well Did you um, feel that your friends and family obviously experience this journey with you as well. How how are things now? Like, do they still mention Aya? Yes. Do you and you, you're happy? Obviously, what them talking to you about Aya? I think yes. But I think that was more on us though oh. because we stressed it a lot to the right, family and okay. friends that we need her spoken about, and it's something we've openly said to all of them, and they do. Um, you so know, they, they naturally spoke of her when. I mean, I was born because the first thing everyone would say is she looks, she looks she, like yeah, her, she's a and she, her. She was. Yeah. It's, even now, I think I think she looks so much like her, even mm-hmm. though she's a lot older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I think that's that's a blessing from Allah Subhanahu Taala that he he instilled that into other people mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. naturally just spoke of her, mm-hmm. and it was like a proud moment when she was born, and like the family was saying, "Oh, she looked." Like Mina looks like Aya. It was, mm-hmm. I got great comfort from that. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, it's yeah. it's nice to hear her, yeah. hear her name, and, I, and think I think it's important. It's not in our culture. It is like Sabah says, but a taboo subject, and it's something that's inverted commas you shouldn't speak of. But I think it is something that should be spoken of, um, and I think it's something that should uh, be brought to the forefront that it's a difficult situation and if someone is in that situation people should know of it mm-hmm. and be aware on how aware of how to deal with, with someone in that situation and it's, inter- we, um, it's interesting that you said that you when when people came to give the condolences that you actually had women come up to you telling you about their losses yeah. and that actually that even the process of speaking to you was like an affirmation that they, it happened to them as yes, well. Yeah. Especially when in our culture, historically, you know, there wasn't always this emphasis on well, you've lost a child. It was like, get up and just get move on, on get on with life, yeah. you know. Yeah. And actually the fact that these women, after so many years, still remember. they still remember, it shows you don't ever forget. It's just they weren't given that comfort. Um, but what I want to say was, with regards to our family, like, last year in Eid and even this year in Eid what they did was both sides what would have been Aya's share of Eid they gave to charity mm-hmm. it was a case of she's always remembered That's and even with us we always mm-hmm. make a point anytime we gift someone we always include Aya's name on the card um, and our families do as well you know when they mention us they speak of Sabah Shiraz, Aya and Mina and it's always been that case so they quite actively speak about her mm-hmm. So you've obviously been on a tremendous journey, which we've obviously heard about in detail today. How is life now? How is life today? 
Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah is busy. First Ramadan with Mina, so it's uh, challenging, but mm-hmm. a welcomed one. Okay. Um, she's she's amazing. Alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. she's bringing so much happiness into That's her home good. as well, uh, into other people's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think uh, in general we're at this such point now. We're like I say, we're still Messiah. There's mm-hmm. not a second mm-hmm. that goes by, but we've learned how to deal with our emotions mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. able yeah. to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, Even today, coming here and speaking, and speaking about, about mm-hmm. this, um, if we were to do this a year ago, we would not be able to do it. So it just shows you there's there's progress. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we kind of directed our attention to the INO Foundation. That's mm-hmm. kind of our focus. So okay. you know, we had our first project. We sent incubators to Syria uh-huh. um, the second project we raised over two and a half thousand pounds yes. for a neonatal unit in Gaza mm-hmm. and then just recently in May um, it was actually an idea of one of the mums for the mummy group I go to with mm-hmm. Mina mm-hmm. I told them about Aya they wanted to do something so we organised a buggy walk okay. um, for families and children and we raised over five and a half thousand pounds and yeah. that's kind of come become our focus okay. at so the we moment just, we just well. advertised on the, the Aya North foundation facebook page mm-hmm. um that's where, where we have all our right. people can go to the facebook page mm-hmm. and we have all our sort of updates and upcoming events and people um, can donate do, do they have information about how they can donate yeah, well yeah, to the foundation? basically every time a project comes up we then set up a new just giving okay. page and okay. we don't have a general a general one okay. yet we are working on it okay. um, we're working at the moment the last project that Islamic one, relief and yeah, well foundation, foundation is as well at the moment so that's mm-hmm. the two that we're, we're sort of um, working alongside. Okay. 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 Um, so if I was interested, obviously I'd go to your Facebook pages. Yes. Yeah. And the most recent okay. project, the link mm-hmm. is still open to okay. donate to. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Do you have a website or anything like that at all? No, it's just the Facebook page. Again, it's something that's in the page. process. Oh. Yeah, Are you finding that you're spending quite a lot of time on the project as well? As obviously not as much as I would like to. to just well, when they come around, we do give. <laughs> when the project does come around, we mm-hmm. do give it enough attention. Because basically, it's Islamic relief are the registered charity we're right. one of their projects right, okay. um, and it's one of they've been amazing because they take care of most of the work and they'll tell me we've got this project do you want to do it mm-hmm. and we'll then start on the advertising and getting things organised um, and then they'll take care of where the money's going to and things So, any final advice or comments you want to to give out to people um, I think the most important is um, turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now in the good times that you're in or mm-hmm. if it's bad times always remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he has blessed us alhamdulillah with the lives that we have mm-hmm. um, just look around the world what's going on we are in a very lucky position yeah. um, I think it's more just for other bereaved parents as well my main advice is talk about your child mm-hmm. don't keep quiet seek help if you need to and turn to Quran and Sunnah because you need your faith Thank you to both of you for speaking so openly um, about something that's really emotional and actually very personal. Um, uh, we hope that all our listeners have benefited from what we've talked about today. And we make dua that Allah reunites Saba and Shiraz and Aya and Mina in Jannah. Um, for parents who have experienced a bereavement, um, Sabah has obviously mentioned quite a few of her charities. We will put that onto Facebook. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum.
For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.